you know, I, I got this thing. I want to. I, I, I got to confess here, um, but it's so funny that I have to. So, so the other day, um, I, I, I just sometimes after lunch is a hard time for me. I get really sleepy, and and I am the king of the power nap. I I can just like I can go to sleep anywhere, and I can sleep for five minutes, ten minutes, and then I'm good to go. You know, but so anyway, the other day I was in my office and, and I got really sleepy, and I fell asleep, and I fell asleep on my computer. Like this, kind of, okay? And when I woke up, my computer was in Farsi. The whole thing was in Farsi. I don't know how I did it. I changed my computer from English to Farsi. And let me tell you what, it is really hard to change your computer back to English when you don't speak Farsi. It's just really tough. It took me a while. I, <laughs> so, so anyway, it's just a little glimpse. It's just a little glimpse into... To, to me. O- only I would do that. And then, I don't know, I don't know if God wants me to learn a foreign language, because somehow I turned, now I've turned the computer on my truck, in, it's fallen French. I don't even know how I did it. I, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I need the gift of tongues at this point to, to navigate all of my stuff. Um, I, I just wanted to fill you guys in. We uh, did finally get um, our well, not finally, we, it was in good time. We, we got our, our year-end um, financial, and I just wanted to share with you guys that, that because of your generosity throughout the year, last year, we were able to, uh, to give out $43,000 towards missions, uh, gifts into the community, benevolence, um, helping people out, supporting ministries within our community and outside of that. So really cool, really thankful for that, just to be able to do that. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. I hope we can give away more next year. Um, so we are, this next two weeks, we're going to study Ephesians chapter 4, which is uh, just a chapter dealing with the church and, and our walk and what that looks like within the church body. And so we're going to spend the next two weeks doing that. And then Ben is going to take the, the pulpit for a couple of weeks after that and, and allow me to kind of get some other things done and whatnot, which will be really a blessing and really good. And and, uh, you know, you'll get to hear from Ben for a couple weeks. And then if there's anybody left, I'll come back after that, and we'll, we'll hang out. We'll talk some more, you know. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, if you wanted to tur- uh, turn your Bible on or open your Bible this morning, um, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Um, real quick, I'll give us kind of an overview of the book of Ephesians. Um, Chapter 1 deals with, with the idea that God has given us every single blessing, everything that we need, all that, that God has withheld, nothing from his people or from the church, um, that he chose us, that he has made us holy and blameless, that this God that we're talking about is a father God, that he has adopted us, he has redeemed us through his blood, he has forgiven us, and he has lavished upon us all wisdom and insight. He has made known the mystery of the will of God according to his purposes, which were set forth in Christ. He's united all things in heaven and on earth, and then he has given each one of us an inheritance. And he has sealed us for the day of redemption by his Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say that that he is praying that the believers, that we will just grasp hold of this and understand that this God is above all things, he is over all things, and he is through all things. He is the fullness that fills all and all. 
Chapter 2 then reminds us that we were dead, that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses just like the unbelieving world is today, that we were no better, that, 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 that we were just in need of God's grace as much as anybody else out there, and that we are saved totally and completely by grace and grace alone. When we recognize this, it begins to mobilize us. It begins to mobilize us and, and move us towards the world, towards an unbelieving world. And, and it, it, it reminds us of the need uh, of the church to be effective in the world around us. I'm still here. My st I think my notes, my notes are still in English, too, so it's good. Um, uh, so... We're also reminded, too, that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives, that he has works that he has prepared for each one of us to walk in. Um, the context of the whole is that the Gentiles have now been brought into this picture, that, it's, that, that the Jews and the Gentiles have been united, and they've brought, been brought into one thing, and we're talking about now, what we're talking about is the formation of the church, and it's been brought in through the cross. The church is now formed. He has taken the two, and he has formed those into one, and unity is woven throughout this entire narrative. We're reminded, too, and we come to understand that the church is not buildings or denominations. Jesus is not returning for buildings, and he's not coming back for denominations. Jesus is coming back for his people, those who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, who have received his forgiveness through this shed blood on the cross. That is the church, and the church is a global entity, right? It's, it's, uh, certainly, we are a fellowship. We're part of the greater church. But the church is, is much bigger than just us. The church isn't just uh, denominations. The church, again, is God's people. Chapter 3 tells us that this thing is a great mystery and that it has been revealed to us. And then the end of this, it, it, it ends with this beautiful prayer that we would each get this and we would understand who we truly are, what our identity really is, and what is available to us through this mysterious thing called the church and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power that God wants to infuse into his people. So chapter 4, let's get into this. Let's take a look here as we kind of go together. Chapter 4, let's just read chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 together, and then we'll go back through it. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Paul proclaims himself to be a, a, a doulos, a, a, a bond slave for the Lord. That, that, and, and understand, too, that this idea of being a bond slave for the Lord is different from the idea that we sometimes have with slavery. You see, a bond slave, uh, somebody who, who uh, had was, a bond slave generally was like an indentured servant who had a debt to pay off and, and agreed, you know, to, to work for this person until that debt was paid off. But Sometimes they had the opportunity after that that they could continue on with that master. Maybe their life was, was far better than it was apart from them. And, and so they could become a bond slave or a bond servant. And this is what Paul is saying here. It's not a place where someone has been taken and placed into slavery against their will. But by a volition of their free will, they have chosen to stay with this master and serve there. And so Paul proclaims himself to be this, a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It, this idea of walk in this, it means to, to live in this, to wear this. And why? Because of the calling or the invitation that has been given to us. Because we are a people who have been invited into a kingdom, a different kingdom. And we've been given and revealed to us different ways of the kingdom and what kingdom life is really supposed to look like. And Paul is going to begin to kind of uh, establish a little bit of some, some ground rules and some thought for the community as we try to do life together, as we try to, to do this thing and really be this thing that is the church. So walk, walk, do this thing in a manner worthy of the invitation which we, by which you have been called. And then it goes in, verse 2, how with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So, so it's this idea, too, that in all honesty, that we're called to bear with one another. Why are we called to bear with one another? Because sometimes we're hard to bear, right? That's the reality of this thing, is that church is this beautiful mess. That, that's what the church is. It's a beautiful mess. It's, it's not a place where we, where we come and we, 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 you know, we kind of put on the trophy shelf all of, all of our accomplishments and how amazing we all are. No, actually, this is a hospital. This is a place where, where our brokenness comes in and, and our past and, and some of the things. And God is redeeming and he's rebuilding and he's, he's taking us and he's, he's recreating us into something new. He's giving us new opportunity, but it doesn't mean that we don't have our struggles in this place. It doesn't mean that at times that, that, that we don't have some, some friction that kind of comes up in here. 
It's just a reality of this thing. It's a reality of the family that you live in, right? This is part of it. And so one thing I love about the Bible is how it, it delves and it lives within reality. It's telling us why, again, is, why, is it, why is Paul telling us this? Because it's a reality. Because sometimes we are difficult to bear. We're difficult to be around one another. And you see, God has set the church up in this really unique way where we don't just get to hang out with whoever we actually like or choose to hang out with. That he's brought a diversity of people together. And what we find if we really just push into this thing is that we begin to find that we actually need the people that we generally don't want to have to hang out with. We actually need those people to kind of knock some rough edges off of us, to help us in our own growth, but it's going to require that we really walk in humility, not a pridefulness, not the idea that I've got this all figured out, not the idea that I'm better than everybody else, not judging anybody else in this place, but living and walking in this humility. You see, the humility is this thing, the standard becomes the way in which you were called, and how were we called? We were called by Jesus, and how did he walk on this earth? He walked on this earth in an incredible amount of humility and patience and forbearance towards us, right? And because of that, because we've been extended such patience and kindness and forbearance, we need to be a people that extend that ourselves. Because we've received so much grace, we need to be quick to extend grace to the world around us. We need to be real with the reality that just like everybody else out there, we also too at one time were totally in rebellion to God. We had went our own way and did our own thing. Each of us, like sheep, it says, have went astray. Each of us has turned and gone his own way. And and so we just get humble and we recognize too that we're just going to have to be patient if we're going to get this thing done. And then it goes on, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, unity. We do this, and when when we're walking in patience with one another, bearing with one another, we are beginning to have a little bit the recipe of preserving unity within the church. And, and, And unity is this huge thing. Now, now, when we start to think about unity, unity does not mean that each and every one of us agree on every single point. That is not what unity is. But unity is this idea that we can come across here and we can have a central point. We can have a central thing, which is the cross, which is the gospel, which is salvation by grace and grace alone and these different things. And we can have unity at that place. Each and every week, I meet with the pastors of, this, uh, of the community. Pastors United in Christ is our is our pastoral group, and we have unity in that group. We love one another. We love one another's churches and congregations, and we pray for one another, but you know what? There are issues about our faith that we aren't in agreement about, but you see, we set those things aside, and we come together at the cross, and we find unity in that place, and that unity is what moves us forward, and unity is a big deal to God. It's a really big deal to God that we would preserve the unity of his body. You see, sometimes there, there's, there's, uh, there, there's, uh, sometimes there can be a real uh, desire in us just to be right. And I'll tell you this right now, you can either choose to be right or you can be, choose to be happy. But you can't always be both, right? You might find that out in your marriage too, right? You can either be right or you can be happy. 
Make a decision. But sometimes there's a reality here that, that sometimes what's more important than me being right or me having it my way is the preservation of the unity of the church. God has a lot to say about it, as a matter of fact. In John 17, 21, this is a prayer that Jesus has for you and I, for all of the believers, for the church, not just at that time, but for all of those who would believe because of their testimony. And he says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Philippians 2.2 Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And it's this idea here that, um, that what we see in the early church is there's the reality of conflict and struggle. Again, I love that the Bible just deals with what really is going on. It deals with real life. It doesn't take us off into some nebulous place, into some nebulous, nefarious kind of an idea that, that of, of some kind of a utopia that we're going to create. It talks about real time and real hard things. And then it reminds us that it's important for us to preserve the unity of the church. And the reason that there's unity in this thing is that unity is totally built into this deal. It, God has designed it this way that there would be diversity yet brought into unity. Listen to this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And, and, and so what is he saying? He's just saying that there's one way, and you say, well, try, man, you're really narrow-minded. Well, narrow is the way what it says. The Bible is very clear. The world may tell us that there's, there's all kinds of ways, that there's all kinds of different ways to get to heaven and that you just pick your way and it's no big deal, but at the end of the day, all roads are going to lead to God and it's going to be fine. I'm just going to tell you, if that's what you're thinking, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, we may believe that or you may believe that and, 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 and I get that because I believe that at a certain point in my life as well. But that is not what the Bible teaches by any means. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is it. There's, there's one way. And, and, and what God is doing is he's taking the diversity of the world and he wants to bring it into unity. But he wants to maintain and preserve the diversity of the world. He wants to preserve the diversity of this church body. Why? Because we need different things. We're going to look at this. This thing is being a body. It has different parts. Each part has a different function. Therefore, there's an absolute necessity for diversity within the body. The Bible says that one day in heaven, it will be represented by every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that God is going to take the diversity of the world, the creativity of God and the way that he's done this thing, and he's going to pull it together in complete unity and in heaven 
we will see representation from all of those places. One body and one spirit. Back in chapter 1 and verse 13, it told us that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit on the day of redemption. You see, and this is the thing that, that, that brings us into the church. Are we in the church? Well, well, you may have come to church today, but remember, you, you didn't come to church. You brought church with you. The church is, is, is the body of believers. It's, it's those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's those who have been made a new creation that our spirit has been quickened. And where it, where it was dead, it's been brought to life. And, and our communication, our communion with God begins at that point. And, and what is God doing? He's moving us into a place of unity. Now, that doesn't mean we've arrived right? Just because these things are going. But this is a process that God is working out in our lives, both individually and in us as a church body as well. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, what does that mean? I think it means this. It doesn't, what it doesn't mean is this. According to the measure, we start thinking about measure. We think, well, you, you get a little bit and you, you need some more and you need some more. What was the measure of Christ's gift? The, the measure of Christ's gift was everything. Did Jesus hold back anything? No, he held nothing back. He gave all on our behalf. He gave of himself. He, he entered into his creation and subjected himself to it that he might redeem it, that he might come to the bottom of this whole thing, that he might lift it all back up again and make possible for us a relationship with a holy and perfect God. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. It's an interesting thing. You see, Jesus is a different kind of king. And, and the, if you look in your study Bible, you'll see a reference back to Psalm 68, 18. And, and it says that you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, now, a lot of people, there's a lot of different thought out there by scholars and, and people a lot smarter than me on these things, but, um, but I, I think that this, Paul is using this, and what he's doing is he's making a bit of a contrast here, and it says that when, because when a king would conquer a people, they would lead up on high, they would lead a train behind them of the captives that they had taken in this war, and in that, they would be receiving the 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 bounty or the, the booty of, of the war, and they would be receiving all of these gifts, which then at times they would redistribute to their supporters and those different things. But this is the idea of an of a earthly kind of a king and his ascension. But when Paul does it, he, he doesn't say that. He says when he ascended on high, he led host, a host of captives. Who were those captives? Were those captives were captives to send. And, and what did he do? He set them free, and then he gave gifts to men. It's this God who is a giver. Again, we talk about this gift cascade that we see in God. We see that the Father has given the Son, that the Son has given the Spirit, and the Spirit has given gifts. To who? To his church. And what is the call on the church? The call on the church is to give back into the world to, uh, to bring glory and honor to God, to make him famous in the world around us that others might see and desire to come in. 
and saying, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had started from heaven, that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth, and that he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. That there is no inch of the universe in which he isn't filling, which he isn't Lord over. And then what does he do? He gives. Again, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, it says that Jesus is the head over these offices, over these positions, over these giftings, and that he has given people to serve within the church body, and that those giftings, the, the, these giftings of, of apostle, the apostles, the, they're, they're the baseline for where this all started. They, they, they put together the, the New Testament. They received the, the uh, inspiration for the New Testament, uh, the prophets. And, and again, too, let's remember, too, that a prophetic voice isn't always, actually very rarely is a prophetic voice one that is proclaiming to know the future most often, the, the gift of prophet today is a proclamation of God's truth. It's a reminding of God, to God's people of the truth, of God's word, and how maybe they've, they've strayed off. And so the prophets, the evangelists, or, or those who, proclaim, uh, who, who go and proclaim the, the message of salvation, the shepherds, those who oversee and watch over, and then the teachers, they have a reason in the church, and that is to equip the saints for the ministry. And you say, well, I'm no saint. Well, I get it, and I know the context of that, but if you are in Christ, you're a saint. Saints are not people who have, who have attained to amazing kind of status in this world and have got the Bible very clearly refers to the saints as the people of God. Corinthians uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. And so it's the equipping of the saints. So, so really the, the, the function of the church is to equip the body of Christ to go out and to do the ministry. That's really what we're supposed to do. Sometimes today in the modern church, it's too much about programs and staff and hiring more people to go out and to, to do the ministry. That is not the function of the church. The church has begun to function in reverse of the way that it's intended to function. The people, the staff of the church really, are, and those who are gifted in these, in these ministries that are within the church are meant to be using those ministries to help everybody to grow in their relationship to Christ, to mature, to grow up, so that when we all go out of here, we start to have influence in that sphere of influence that you have, that I don't have, that you uniquely have, your coworkers or your neighbors or your family, and those kinds of things. And so really, the church... It's just meant to be about equipping, and that's really the focus of where we're going as a church body. We're going to be about discipleship. That's basically what we're talking about is this concept, this idea of being a disciple. We're not talking about coming to church. Church is good. I'm all about that. But what we're really talking about is walking in a manner worthy, going deeper, going further, 
being in discipleship and also being a discipler over someone else, about really recognizing what we've been given in Christ and then having an outflow out of our lives. You see, he has given us in accordance with the measure of Christ. He gave all grace, and so all grace is available. He's a different king, and he distributes his gifts to us. And he is now sitting on high until the culmination of time when he returns. And at that point, it's all over. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Again, churches, what do we do? We start to come about programs and we become about, try to become marketing professionals about how to grow the church. The way that the church grows, and I can promise you this, is that the depth of relationship that begins to happen within this place is what will grow the church. By the way that you love one another, they will know about Jesus. You see, what happens within here and what happens as we go deeper together and we become more committed to the gospel message We become more excited about that, and we begin to really live in a community, small groups. It's our our biggest uh, means of, of facilitating this. The deeper you go together, the more exciting all of this gets. The more attractive it gets, the more that people are inviting and, and pulling people in and saying, I'm so excited about what's going on in my own life through this, I'm going to start to invite other people into this. And that is the way, and this is the prescription by which God has said, this is how you grow my church. Not by great, amazing outreach ministries and all of these kinds of things, but really by, by, by recognizing that there's a need for us to all be working on ourselves and our relationships here together. See, we need to go deeper, not wider right now. That's where we're at as a church. We just need to go deep. We need to be committed to going deep together. Goes on to say, so that, uh, so that uh, uh, until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, we're in process and God is sanctifying us. He's, he's creating us and helping us and growing us to be more Christ-like in what we do. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There's a ton of deceit out there in the world today that people are chasing around. And what is the answer to that? The answer to that is the church, and it's the truth. And that's why we're reminded right here that we don't want to be just tossed around. James talks about this. He talks about that a lack of faith, that when we pray that we're, we're, we're to ask God and we're to ask Him in faith, right? And, and that, and that if, we, if we lack faith, then we're just like, we're just getting tossed to and fro on the wind and the waves, tossed over here and then over there. We have no foundation or anything to keep us uh, rooted and, and moving forward into the truth. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. So Jesus is the head. We're the body. He's the, he's the lead of this whole thing. And um, we are to speak the truth in love. There's a necessity for the truth to be accompanied with love. The truth without love is really harsh. It's hard. 
It's hard to bear. So we need to have love mixed in with our truth. Love apart from truth, though, isn't truly love. There's a necessity. If we believe what we say we believe, if we believe that there's, that there's an eternal place for each and every person to, to, to land one day, then there's a necessity for us to tell the truth about that. If we believe that, then we tell the truth about that. But we have to do it in love. And, and like I've spoken many times, remember, Jesus came for people. He didn't come against them. People are already under judgment apart from Christ. We don't need to put them under judgment. We need to point them to the truth. We need to speak the truth to them in love and tell them about that you can be different, that you can be saved, that you can be made new, that there's a new way, that there's a new kingdom, that there's new kingdom life, and there's a new perspective that you can have. There's a new process that God will put you into as you grow and as you change. So we're to speak the truth, and we're to do it in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, now listen to this, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body only moves in the manner that it is designed to move if we're all doing the part that God has for us. Each and every one of us play a part within the body. You can ask Corey about taking different parts out of the body, right? It's not always good. There are are side effects to that. Sometimes it it saves things, but there's always a cost and there's always a thing. And so, so if we're really not moving together in the manner that God has called us to, we're, we're not effectively moving. We're, we're, we're gimping around a little bit, you know, if we don't have all the parts. We're crawling, <laughs> you know, so, so there's a need. There's, so so what, what I want to do, I want to impress on this is that there's room for everybody and that we all are really called into this to be a part of this. This, this, is, this is this amazing thing that, that God has done, and this is the way that he's chosen to do it. See, he has, doesn't have any independent contractors. He's not hiring independent contractors in this thing. It's done through the church, and when it's done through the church, the church receives the glory, or I'm not sorry, the church shouldn't, re- God receives the glory through the church because it's his chosen vehicle to bring glory to himself. See, when the world hears that or understands or knows that the church has moved and done something in the community, who gets the glory? It's God. Because the church and God have an association together. So I want to read, as we, as we close here, I want to read just this prayer out of, of Ephesians 3. And the next two weeks, I just want to read this prayer as we close out. But I want it to sink in. I don't want this to just be something that just bounces off of you. I want you to really get a hold of this prayer and hear it, because it's for you. And this is Paul. For this reason, I, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you 
being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.